Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 9 or 10.30 a.m. To learn more about First Methodist, visit us online at firstopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at First Opelika. Thanks for tuning in. We'd love for you to join us. Uh, so our scripture this morning is going to come uh, from this text, and I'm going to challenge you to get that commitment card out that you got when you came in. Uh, the text is going to be on the screen, but we're going to read the scripture together. It's Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. It's on the back of the commitment card, and as you're getting that, I'm going to invite you to stand out of reverence for the Lord and for His Word. And let's all read, uh, kind of like we did to start the service, we're going to all read Ephesians 3, 14 through 21 together. As we read together, let's listen uh, with our spiritual heart. Let's listen in the depths of our soul uh, for the word that the Lord has for us this morning. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Let's stop. I think we should read that part again. Go back to, uh, to grasp how wide. Start there. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Here comes the good part. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Pray with me, please. Good Father, as we reflect on this core piece of your desire for your people and your world, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work. Lord, you promise that your Spirit will guide us, that you will comfort us, that you will help us, that you will teach us all truth. And so, Lord, right now, with all the effort that we can give, we open ourselves to what you want to do. And Lord, we thank you that in the truth of this text, we know that you're at work in ways greater than we could ask or imagine. And so, Lord, we ask that in these moments, you would draw us into a connection with you uh, that would yield fruit and life and hope for all time. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's children said, amen. There is a difference between improving something and renovating something. 
Uh, all you have to do is look around this building to know that. If you've been around First Methodist Church uh, for a while and you know what this building looked like before, then you know the condition that the building was in, that when we had a building study team uh, that convened years ago to begin to say, what should we do with the sanctuary building, uh, that they began to wrestle with this idea of should we just improve it or should we renovate it? Uh, And what they began to realize is that they could invest some cost in improving it. They could have put a coat of paint on things. They might could have patched a few pews together again. They could have had a massive spring cleaning in the basement to try and kind of get some of the, the dank, musty mildew smell out and make those rooms a little bit more usable. But what they began to weigh was that the cost of just improving uh, really wouldn't make a lasting difference. Uh, That it might be a quick fix, that it might kick the can down the road just a little bit. Uh, But they finally reached the point that said, we cannot as good stewards uh, just put a band-aid on this any longer. Because when you improve something, it makes it better in the short term. But when something is renovated, uh, it is changed for the long term. And what we saw over the course of the 11 months that we were out of this building when we were worshiping in the fellowship hall uh, was that this building went through a wholesale renovation. Uh, The downstairs area that was six or seven or maybe even eight kind of dark and dusty rooms that had not been, many of which had not been used in years, were completely gutted. I mean, every single wall, uh, down to the foundations, and the foundation pillars of the church uh, that were built in 1879 in this very building, they were reinforced. Some of them were replaced. They uh, pulled the flooring back. You could see uh, the original brick foundations, and they went in and made sure that they were all sturdy and strong and replaced bricks and fixed joists and all kind of things, and they took every single wall down. They took every bit of plaster and sheetrock off of the wall. You could see the original bricks that were placed when this building was built. And then out of that space, once it had been completely gutted, it was redesigned. It was designed for a new purpose. Uh, It was uh, given a new identity and it was shaped for something that would move into the future. And so now if you walk downstairs today after the service, you'll see this incredible bridal suite and a bathroom. And you'll see these multi-purpose rooms that are light and bright and have technology and can be used for classes and training and meetings. uh, And all kind of ministry that is able to happen in a space that was once dead. There is now life. If you look in this room, you can see the same thing. That uh, the, the difference in improving and renovating uh, was that no longer are we looking for uh, quick fixes or patches. No more drop-in stages to try and uh, make a difference with the chancel area that was too small. Uh, no longer were we going to try and squeeze the choir into a choir loft that didn't quite have enough seats for the number of people that were singing. Uh, that what happened is rather than just continuing to say, we can just strap these pews back together one more time. Everything in this room was gutted. The, the whole chancel was ripped out. The, the organ was taken out. And while it was put back in, uh, the whole idea was that this room was redesigned. That it took what was before and said, so we're going to take what was before. And while it might have similarities, it's been radically transformed. It's not just a few new light bulbs. It's not just a quick fix. It's a deep wholesale renovation, even all the way up into the attic. Places that you'll never see, which is so true in the way that real renovation works, is that things you may never see uh, get renovated for purposes that you may never understand. The the dome that we love to look at, uh, that we see the light shining on, all that space around it uh, was built around and insulated to help this building become more energy efficient. uh, So that from the outside, this place might look 
a little bit like it looked before. It may look like the, the same person or building that it was before, but inside, it has been redesigned and repurposed for a new future. God is in the renovation business. That is what God does, that he is a God who is a renovating God. And while I believe that God cares deeply about this space, and those of you that have been a part of this church, or even if you're just finding your way into the church, know that this is holy ground, that there is something about worshiping in this room where people have been gathering to worship since 1879. Uh, But even more than the value of this building and how we use it for God, I believe that God cares far more about the people who sit in this building and maybe even more the people who don't yet sit in this building. And that he wants to be the God that is renovating lives. Uh, that far more than just renovating some buildings so that we have a nice, comfortable, cozy place to come and worship and that lights are bright and the seats don't fall apart. That God deeply longs to renovate your heart and my heart. That's what immeasurably more is all about. Yes, the sanctuary is wonderful. Yes, renovating this space is wonderful. But we want to be the church that is about the immeasurably more that God wants to write in your life and in my life and even more so in the lives of people who haven't ever even walked in these doors yet. The foundation of immeasurably more comes from Ephesians 3. We've said it twice already this morning, but I want to give you uh, just a quick glimpse at some of the main pieces that are on that verse on the back of the commitment card. Because as you really begin to look at what happens, there's a story of what God wants to write in your life and a story of what he wants to write in the lives of the people who will walk through the story that we haven't even met yet. Uh, The families that will come to vacation Bible school or that might come to Pine Cove City that will then walk in here on a Sunday morning. This is the story that he wants to write in their lives when they show up for the first time. In the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul is celebrating the the story of the gospel. Uh, And he's writing all about uh, how lives have been changed by the work of Jesus. Uh, And he's connecting some of the most incredible dots to look at the the Jewish people and how they had followed the law and the law had not done what what they had hoped it would do, that they couldn't find righteousness and wholeness and peace through obeying the law because nobody was good enough to do that. And he celebrates that Jesus, the, the one alone who could come and offer himself for us, that he uh, fulfilled our price, that we might know the righteousness of God. Uh, And so he's kind of painting that picture, and he paints that for the Jewish people, and then he opens the doors wide open. He says, but it's not just for those original people of God. He said it's for all the Gentiles too, so for all the non-Jewish people, that any person, anyone, anywhere, uh, that this good news is for them too, that God loves them, that he knows them, that he longs to redeem them and bring them into a full fellowship with them. And if you go back and read right before a Ephesians 3, uh, you can kind of sense the emotion welling up in Paul, that as he's writing, he's getting excited, and it's almost kind of bubbling over off the pages, and all of a sudden, he kind of reaches this high point in the text, uh, and it's, it's like a mic drop moment in a way, because I mean, he, he's just going along, he's typing on his iPad or whatever he was doing when he was writing, uh, and he gets to that point, and he, he kind of drops the mic, he's like, I gotta pray, And it says that he drops to his knees. It's the only time in all of Paul's writings that he says, I'm getting on my knees. This posture just shows that there's a passion and a commitment to say, I deeply long for the people that I'm writing to. And the people who would read this years and years later, I deeply long for them to know this incredible story of redemption and wholeness and fullness. And then what he does is in this prayer, he walks through kind of like the layers of a cake 
uh, he, he walks through kind of some steps that build on top of each other, uh, that kind of paint this picture. And, and it's amazing because really if you follow the, the kind of the steps that he's walking through in Ephesians 3, and you can see this right there on that card, uh, that, that he's really walking through the story of our faith progression. Uh, and it's not just a one-time progression, it's kind of a progression that we go through over and over again. Uh, the very first thing he prays is he says that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would be strengthened inside. It's really neat when you think about renovation, that that's kind of the first thing they did. That no sooner had the insides of this building been gutted, than they went to reinforce to, to make sure the walls and the foundations were strengthened. And so he's praying the same thing for all of us. He says that in the splendor and grandeur of God's power, that through his Holy Spirit, that he might do a work in you, that he might begin to strengthen and reinforce the inside, that he might make room for what he wants to do in you. This is the story of all of our faiths, that long before we ever came to the point of confessing our faith in Jesus, God was already at work, preparing room, making way, offering grace that would lead us to himself. After our insides are strengthened, that foundation layer of the cake, the next layer is put on top of it. This is the let Christ dwell inside of you layer. And what the text says is that, that we want to have our insides strengthened so that we can receive Christ in faith. And some of you might say, well, I did that a long time ago. I did that when I was at vacation Bible school as a kid. I did that. I've already made that. But what Paul knows and what you and I need to know is that the dwelling of Christ is a thing of degrees. And so we can make a commitment to Christ as a child in vacation Bible school, but it is not a one-time deal. Uh, that what we see as we look at this text is that in this strengthened interior of our life is that God wants Christ to dwell uh, and that he wants him to, to take up residence. The word dwell that Paul uses there uh, is like buying an estate and building an estate. This isn't just like a traveler passing through. That he wants Christ to take up residence in your life and, and that as we lean in, to what God is doing, that he wants to grow inside of us, that our faith and our commitment to Jesus isn't just a one-time thing, that we cognitively check the box and go, yep, I believe he existed. It's a continual receiving of Christ in our life, of saying, I want you to take up residence inside of me. The next layer that goes right on top of that uh, is what can only happen if Christ takes up residence in your life, is that we will grow in love. I love the language that Paul uses in the prayer because all of a sudden he shifts gears and he begins to use this agricultural language uh, about roots growing deep and uh, fruit being born and branches and uh, kind of this growing sense that, that when Christ takes up residence in our life, when we take a new step of faith in Christ, when we receive Christ dwelling in us again in a new way, that love begins to grow. It's not just a knowledge about love. But it's a participation in Jesus' self-yielding, other-benefiting action. He even goes so far as to say, I want you to grasp the ungraspable. I want you to understand in a way that you can't fully understand how wide and high and deep is this love. That you would recognize the magnitude of God's love for you. And then that out of that it would flow into your love for other people. That it would carry out into the ways that you care for and serve people around you. That it would flow out into how you care for and serve the people of the church. That it would flow out and care for how you care for and serve the people of the world outside of here. 
as love grows in our lives, as that self-yielding, others-benefiting action grows, the last piece is that we would be filled to the fullness of God. That as we grow, that we would reach this point where we'd have the, the perfect human union with God. That we would reach this place where we know a wholeness and a peace a joy, a contentment that can come only from the Father. And, and the truth of the matter is, is sometimes people hear that and they're like, well, that seems like a, kind of a letdown when you get to the end. Like, that, that's what we were working to, is fullness, filled to the fullness of God. But that's what every single person who is alive longs for. They may chase after it in all kinds of ways. They may chase after it through careers or money or houses or vacations or academics or achievements or whatever it is. But every single person, the, the deep need and desire of their life is to be filled with the fullness of God. And what Paul prays for you and for me is the sense of you can know this. And you can be filled to this fullness of God. The problem with all of this is that oftentimes we think it's too good to be true. I guess it was about six months ago where there was a passing reference to immeasurably more somewhere in the church. And a man told me, he's like, I'm about tired of this immeasurably more stuff. Uh, and I think he was talking about the initiative and like, man, it seems like that logo's on everything and we're passing things out and all that kind of thing. But I think, unfortunately, what tends to happen sometimes is we're like, I get tired of that immeasurably more stuff of what God wants to do. Because at the core, immeasurably more is about whose plans are we going to follow? Whose agenda are we going to live on? Whose path are we going to take? Are we going to take what's comfortable and convenient and easy for me? Are we going to allow faith to become just participating in some religious activities, hoping that other people will get their arm twisted harder to serve, uh, thinking that maybe if I was in a Sunday school class or a life group years ago that that was good? Or are we going to surrender to the point that God says, I want more for you than you want for yourself? That I want to write in you a story that's greater than the story that you believe I want to write. I told you a couple of weeks ago that sin doesn't change God's perception of us. Sin changes our perception of God's perception of us. And so what ends up happening is we think that God won't do any more. And God in a text like this says, I long to do more. But the way that we get to it is through surrender. In just a few minutes, we're going to come to this communion table and we're going to give you a chance to come to this altar and surrender. To surrender around, do you want God to write the story in your life of the filled to the fullness of God? Are you at that place or do you believe that there is more God wants to do? Do you believe that God has written all the chapters in this church that he wants to write? Or do you believe that God longs to do more than we could ever ask or imagine? It's almost like as Paul is working through this prayer, that he can hear the hesitation that people like you and me might have. That he can hear the hesitation to go, I don't know, that's too good to be true. Maybe that's true for other people, but that certainly can't be true for me. And so the last thing he does, the good part, as I said a minute ago when we read the scripture, is he backs up and he tells us why. He says, this is why you can rest in this good news. This is why you can rejoice that no matter who you are or where you are or what story you have told yourself, is that God yet longs to bring you into a deeper level of fullness, that God yet longs to do more than you can ask or imagine. He says, because our God, if you look at that text, our God is the God who is able 
Our God is not a God who is not able. Our God is not a God who is frozen or historical. Our God knows more than we can ask or imagine that his thinking and his ways are bigger than your thinking or our ways. That his power is greater than what we could ever imagine. That he can do things inside of us that we can't do inside of us. That he is a God who can do more than we ask or imagine. And Paul says, you can rest in that. And my deep prayer for you is that we would all know the fullness of what he wants to do. I am surrendered to immeasurably more. And I don't mean this immeasurably more. I'm surrendered to the immeasurably more of what God wants to write in this church. I think the future of First Methodist Church is incredible. I cannot wait yet to see, I cannot yet wait to see what God wants to do and the story he's going to write. And as we prepare to come to this communion table, I'm going to invite you to surrender to. To say, Lord, I don't want to live on the more that I thought was enough. I want your immeasurably more. More than all I could ask or imagine. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, we give you thanks for your faithfulness and your goodness. We give you thanks for your promises that are grander than we can even comprehend. And Lord, I pray your prayer right now over the people in this room, over the people of this church, over the people connected to the First Methodist family, that you would write the story of immeasurably more deep into their lives. That you would write the story of immeasurably more deep into this church's history. That you would do more than we could ask or imagine in bold and powerful ways. And Lord, as we come to this table, we pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts given Because this meal is a story of your immeasurably more. It is the story of the one who gave himself up for us. It is the story of the one who laid himself down. And out of what looked like death and the end of the story, you brought forth glory and life. And so, Lord, in these moments, meet us as we come, as we surrender, as we pray, as we take this gift that you've given to us. Lord, bless it and sanctify it that we might know you fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.